It's rivalry week for North Carolina. The ladies have already taken care of their side of things, beating State and Duke. Now it's the fellas' turn to knock off the Wolfpack. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, January 20th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I really want to thank you for diving in with us today. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, who has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Coming up on today's show, we are going to recap Carolina's massive win over Duke on Thursday night. And uh, we've got our heels of the week, both good and bad. And oh boy, the bad is bad this week. I've got three of them for you. So buckle up for that. One of them is the most obvious negative heel of the week you've ever heard. But I want to start with the preview of Carolina's game coming up tomorrow, Saturday against NC State. And let's start off with some very happy things. I just wanted to do some historic research and I want to have you Uh, give you that information from over the past about two decades. You ready? Buckle up for this. North Carolina and North Carolina State have played 40 times since 2003-2004 season. That's when Roy Williams took over in Chapel Hill. So to kick off the show, let me give you some serious stats in that span. 40 games. You ready? North Carolina, 35 wins. NC State, 5 wins. How many times have they each been ranked in those 40 games? Tar Heels, 29, Wolfpack, 5. Biggest margin of victory in that stretch. North Carolina, 51. You remember that one, don't you? NC State, 12. Average margin of victory. North Carolina, 13.9. Wolfpack, 6.2. How many double-digit wins does each team have in this 40-game stretch? North Carolina has 25. NC State, just 1. And in fact, of NC State's five wins in the last 40 games, none of them are back-to-back. They have never beaten Carolina back-to-back since Roy Williams took over as the coach of the Tar Heels. What a great lead-in. It's a nice little appetizer leading up to this game, Saturday, January 21st, in the Smith Center, 5 Eastern Time on the ACC Network. NC State, listen, folks, I don't want to pull any punches here. They come in on a roll might be the hottest team in the ACC right now, if not one of them. They're 15-4 and four overall, 5-3 and three in conference. They've won four in a row, including games over Duke and Miami in that stretch. They've won seven of their last eight. Their best wins, truthfully, are those Duke and Miami wins that have come recently and at Virginia Tech. As for their four losses, none of them are bad. They lost to Kansas. They lost to Pitt, who Carolina knows firsthand is at least a decent team. Uh, They lost to Miami, who we believe is a top four team in the ACC, and Clemson, who right now leads the conference. So no bad losses for the Wolfpack. Um, As for the Tar Heels, they had kind of that breather, right? The ability to play Louisville and then Boston College, and now there's this stretch that starts with NC State that is going to get infinitely tougher. So Carolina has to come out and start that stretch off holding serve at home against NC 
State. Good news, it's a quad one game. Carolina has a chance to continue building that resume that the selection committee wants to know about. I know it's no fun to talk about all the quads, but uh, it is important to know as we think about NCAA selection things. As for NC State's personnel, they've used just four different starting lineups this year, but the guys that really have been the, the stalwarts is their backcourt. Their three backcourt guys have started all 19 games this season. Obviously, the name you know, Terquavion Smith, he's the dude. Um, but also Jerkel Joyner, uh, who is an Ole Miss transfer, as well as Casey Morsell, who's in his second year at State after transferring from Virginia. And speaking of transfer, this is a team full of transfers that Kevin Keats has assembled. And so th that's the thing is to be on the lookout for those backcourt guys. And part of the interesting reason why to bring that up all the more is that NC State has been kind of hurt, similar to Carolina, hurting in their front court. Jack Clark, a LaSalle transfer, had been starting most of the season, um, but has been out with a hip injury. Don't know of his status as of yet. He has missed their last four or five games. And then the guy who we know came in last year, um, excuse me, to, to fill in for NC State, Ebenezer Dewana, um, has been starting of late, but he missed NC State's last game with an illness of his own. So uh, just waiting to see what the makeup of NC State's front court is going to be. Well, want to get straight into the W2W4, the what to watch for in this game. <laughs> Number one, no questions about it. The thing you have to do in this game is contain Terquavion Smith. Number one on, on everything that you're looking at, all the, you know, every game prep that you do, he's number one at the top of that list. Leads the ACC with 19.1 points per game, tied for fourth in the conference in assists at 4.7, has scored in double figures literally every game this season with a high of 33. And you might also remember last year in his freshman year in the two games against Carolina scored 20 and 34, including uh, that career high was, uh, was that 34 point game. Uh, but the thing is, you also can't let Joyner beat you. He's averaging 16.2 points per game. And so as we think about matching up with this backcourt, you got your Quavion Smith. Again, you got Jarkel Joyner and you got Casey Morsell. And so you got to figure they're being matched up in some combination with RJ Caleb and Leakey. If I'm Coach Davis, here's how I'm handling this. I'm going to put Leaky on Terquavion Smith at 6'9 on 6'4. Let him just bother Terquavion with his length. We haven't had, it feels like to me, we haven't had the same level of like just straight up lockdown games yet this season. And this is a, a great time for Leaky to do it. And then I would put Caleb on Joyner. Again, Joyner is a bit of a smaller guard, 6'1", Caleb 6'4". Allow Caleb to bother him with his height. And then put RJ on Devin Morsell, 6'. I, I know that's a little bit of a height disadvantage for RJ, but I think um, the, the positive you gain of having Leaky and Caleb on the other two guys is a massive win for Coach Davis. And then... So, so what you do is you let the bigger guards handle the dominant two scoring threats for NC State. And then when Seth Tremble or DeMarco Dunn come in, I'm putting them on Terquavion Smith. Just throw guys at him and wear him down. So that's what to watch for number one. Number two is turnovers. NC State is elite 
literally elite top 10 in the nation at not turning the ball over. Carolina is really good at not turning the ball over. I wouldn't call them elite, but they've been struggling a bit lately as they had moved into that more three guard heavy lineup um, against Wake Forest and Notre Dame had just nine and eight turnovers, but the last three games, 13, 14, and 12. Obviously, one of those games is Virginia. You expect to have more turnovers, but that 14, that's against Louisville, who does not force turnovers, and the 12s against Boston College. So you got to rein that in. You cannot turn, uh, you can't lose free possessions to a team that themselves doesn't turn the ball over. That is not a good equation. So watch out for how Carolina does hanging on to the ball. Number three, we talked about NC State's likely, probably depleted front court once again. Even without that, you have to just go to Mondo over and over and over again in the post, let him operate, let the preseason ACC player of the year do what he needs to do all the more so with NC State's likely depletion in in that area. Clear out, get Nance out of the way, get the guards out of there, and just let him do what he needs to do. Um, Involve him in ball screen action with RJ, as you often do. Whatever it is, get Mondo moving, get Mondo posted up. Whatever you need to do, let this man go to work. Fourth thing on our what to watch for. I want to know who's going to have the NC State game. You know what I mean, right? When you think about NC State within the past decade or so and Carolina playing them, you just think about these massive, massive games. Let me remind you of some of them and put a smile on your face on this Friday. Last year, Mondo had 28 in one of the two games. Caleb Love had 21 in the other. 2019 and 20 in those two games, or the 2019-20 season, excuse me, Garrow. 25 and 1, 30 in the other. 1819 season, Luke May, 31 and 1, 21 in the other. The season before that, Luke May, 31 and 1, and 33 in the other. Theo had 22 in one of those games. Ridiculous. 1617 season, Justin Jackson, 21 points. 1516 season, Kennedy had 23 and 1, Bryce Johnson, 22 in the other. The 1415 season, there was the Marcus Page 23 point game, and oh, You definitely remember that 13-14 season when Marcus Page went off for 35 against NC State. So the question is, who's going to be that guy this season that has those games? The obvious candidates are the two guys that have been the most consistent all season long, Mondo and RJ, especially given what Mondo could do against this front court. But wouldn't this be a really neat spot for Caleb Love to break out and just have a game and get himself rolling heading into this tough stretch I was talking about? Yeah, absolutely it would. I still expect, though, um, you know, the 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 less risky thing, the less uh, the more dependable, consistent thing, based on what we've seen this season, is to assume that the dude in this game is some combination of Armando or RJ. Hopefully both. Hopefully all three. That'd be awesome. Um, and so, so that's what I'm looking at as my fourth, what to watch for. And then, um, just as a little bonus, keep in mind, we're, we're watching for these Armando Baycott records, uh, to, to, for him to set those a double, double in this game would give him the Carolina career record. One more over and above Billy Cunningham, 61. And then the, the Tyler Hansborough career rebounds record. Armando is now 16 shy of that and needs 16 to tie 17 to break. He's sitting at 1203. Tyler had 1219. 
And so watch out for that. Great stuff. Should be a great atmosphere, a perfect time for a Saturday game, 5 p.m. tip off. Uh, you know, you can go to the game and still have time to go eat supper afterwards and, and all that. So uh, be in there, be in the Smith Center, be loud and make it happen because you got to follow up doing what the women did on Thursday night, knocking off Duke, giving them their first conference loss of the season. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But before we do, let me remind you that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From the pro football playoffs going on this weekend to college and professional basketball, they got it all at Bet Online. So make sure you check out this line for the game tomorrow we've been talking about between Carolina and NC State. At BetOnline, it's always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Whoo, man, Courtney Banghart's team is rolling. They are so hot, winners of four straight, three of which are over top 13 teams in the nation. There's not going to be many other teams that can match that level of resume including now back-to-back wins over NC State last Sunday and then on Thursday night against Duke. Now, keep in mind, just two weeks ago, Carolina is 0-3 in ACC play, staring down a game on Sunday against Notre Dame, who's top five in the nation. You're looking at 0-4 and 0-4 in conference play, right? And, And very understandably so at that point. But they beat Notre Dame. And then they won at Virginia that next Thursday. And then these two games, NC State and Duke. And all of a sudden, you're 4-3 and three in ACC play. You're above 500. And now you are rolling. So I want to talk about what's next for the Tar Heels because it's a really interesting switch in what the schedule feels like. But before we get to that, I want to give you my four corners recap and my shady stat of the game from Thursday night. Hopefully you were tuned into this game. Um, and so you're tracking with me as we go through this. If you listened to the show yesterday on Thursday in my game preview for this one, you heard me talk about Carolina has to get a hot start. They've been having to rely on these second half kind of third quarter comebacks and then hanging on doing what you need to in the fourth quarter. And so I, I said, I want Carolina to get out to a lead and then hold on to it. They sort of did that. First quarter was awesome. Carolina didn't go off offensively, but what they did get off to a hot start with was defense. Duke didn't score for the first seven minutes and 51 seconds of this game. Now, in that time, Carolina only scored 10 points of their own, but you're up 10-0. And then after a quarter, it was 12 to 5. So I was like, yes, this is exactly what you need to do. Great start. But then Duke fights back in the second quarter, and we're all nodded at 21 at halftime. And so it's like, man, you got that hot start but you didn't hold on to it. And that's okay. That's what great teams do. You knew Duke was going to make a run. They did so and were tied at halftime. So it's like essentially a brand new game. You got 20 minutes left to do it. Four corners point number two in our recap. Carolina, third quarter. They are a third quarter team. Watch out. Utilizing that 3-2 zone. They've been doing, they finish off the third quarter. They get uh, Duke they, they almost double up Duke in this third quarter. It was 19 to 10. In fact, how about this little tidbit? 
Carolina made more shots in the third quarter, nine of them, than they did in the entire first half, seven. <laughs> Almost scored as many points as they did in the first half. It was 21, and they scored 19 in the third quarter. A great run there. Now, the star of this whole thing in the third quarter is Alyssa Utsby. Keep in mind, you may or may not have heard, just not feeling well, sick, was on an IV all morning Thursday. And then Alyssa Usby comes in third quarter, 10 points on a perfect five of five shooting. But it's not just all about her scoring. It's doing all the little things that you need her to do. She's such a nuisance in a great way. So disruptive at the top of that zone, making play like that pass she tipped and then threw it off a Duke player to save possession. Just making heady plays all night long. Alyssa Utsby is an MVP on a game where she on a day when she does not feel well at all. Four corners point number three. I had suggested also in the preview. Remember, I had said Deja Kelly scored just five points against NC State, and so she's the one to look for to have a comeback to get back going, a bounce back, and boy, did she. While Alyssa Usby had 16, Deja is the leading scorer for the Tar Heels, 19 points. Not the most efficient shooting game, but did enough and made some great plays in the fourth quarter down the stretch, winning plays. Um, sometimes it was calling her own number. Sometimes it was finding Usby for like another great reverse layup, things like that. Um, so Deja did what she needed to do. And like I said, the stars come out. Well, they did in Deja Kelly and Alyssa Usby. Four corners point number four. We also talked about in the game preview that Carolina had to look at containing Celeste Taylor, similar to what we talked earlier about containing Terquavion Smith. Celeste Taylor is Duke's leading scorer, although just at 12.9 points per game. They don't, you know, set the world on fire offensively, but still you want to hold the leading scorer in check. And oh, they did. Celeste Taylor, just two points in the game, and that came with 30 seconds left. So for the first 39 minutes and 30 seconds, Carolina held Duke's leading scorer to a goose egg, and then she was able to get one kind of, you know, one of those just throwaway buckets where you're basically playing a little bit of Olay defense because you know they're going to get it, and then foul free throws and all that. And so that's where she finally scores. But Carolina did the job they needed to do on her throughout the main portion of the game. You love it. And let's finish off the game recap with the shady stat of the game. Points in the paint played a pivotal role in this one. Carolina nearly doubles up Duke on points in the paint, 30 to 30 to 16, playing a massive role in this victory. Now, I said I wanted to talk about what's next for the Tar Heels, and here's why. They've been in this stretch that has been an absolute gauntlet. I mean, so rigorous. I said earlier, three of their last four have been against top 13 teams, but it doesn't stop there. Four of their last six have been against top 13 teams in the nation, and five of their last eight have been against top 20 teams in the nation. So Carolina's been, when I say battle-tested, that's like an understatement. They have just uh, literally... They've played a quarter of the top 20 in their last eight games. How many teams around the country can say that? And they come out of it having won three of the last four, not to mention again that this last one's against Duke. Now they've had a four-game winning streak, and now they get a much and well-deserved breather. Why? The next four games are against Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, Clemson, and Virginia. 
Georgia Tech, Pitt, and Clemson are three of the bottom four teams in the conference standings right now. And then Virginia, that game's back at home. Remember, they just beat them on the road. But Virginia is like bottom sixth in the league. And so Carolina's next four games are all against bottom six teams in the league. Now, you have to be careful. You don't want to take a like, oh, good, we can rest. Because as soon as you rest and relax, you're done and, and any of these teams can beat you. But if you keep playing and keep doing the things you do, you feel like you should legitimately win all four of those games. And so now you go from 0-3 in conference to 8-3 in conference. And that's a big, big difference. So got to stay dialed in, but you feel really good about this next stretch. Well, Carolina women, great job there. Now we need to get to our heels of the week, both the good and the bad. And oh boy, there is a big fish to fry today. But before we get there, let me tell you this. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. You're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all of the fat and calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know that my goal is to eat healthier this year. I turn 39 next week and I'm trying to be in the best shape of my life when I hit 40. And so if you want to be like me and do that, well, you want to eat healthy, but you don't want to compromise taste. And so that's what Built Bar does. What makes it so good? Well, for starters, covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie. I'm not sure how they do it, but these Built Bars are, are excellent while still maintaining great, amazing macros. Only 130 calories, just four grams of sugar, but yet 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around for a box to come from Built.com. Why? Because now they carry these at your local Sam's Club and Walmart. So run down to your local Walmart right now, get you some of these churro Built Bars, and you will not be disappointed. All right, folks, uh, here we go. Heel of the week and heel of the week. This first one is too big to be the negative heel of the week. And so this dude is going to get his very own part of this segment. And you probably are guessing it. You're screaming at him right now. It's John Wall. Have you heard about this John Wall and Tyler Hansborough thing? Let me set it up for you just in case you haven't. John Wall came on Theo Pinson's podcast recently, uh, Run Your Race, and talked about how he loved Carolina, wanted to come to Carolina, but the reason he didn't is Tyler Hansborough. This is a podcast where we will not stand or sit or anything for Tyler Hansborough slander. So get out of here with that noise. But here's what happened. Uh, John Wall says, hey, I, I was hopeful and excited to maybe go to Carolina. It was near home and I wanted to be near my mom and all this stuff. I loved a lot of those guys. And so I was excited to go to campus and meet them. Well, I, 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 in particular, was excited to meet Tyler Hansborough coming off the national championship, you know, the best player in college basketball at the time. Uh, so he says, I went up to him, I introduced myself, and he says, John Wall does, that Tyler Hansborough said, I don't talk to recruits. And so John Wall said that he was like, ah, screw it, I'm not coming here if that's how Tyler Hansborough is going to be. Okay. Come on, John Wall. Seriously? You're too good for that. You're too good a person and a basketball player to do that. But thankfully, you know what, John Wall? Tyler Hansborough is not going to stoop to your level. Heel of the week. <laughs> because Tyler Hansborough is a heel of the week in a good way. So Tyler Hansborough on his own podcast claps back. I love that we're just having like a podcast feud. And he says, I can tell, this is a quote, I can tell you that never happened. 
he went on to talk about playing for Coach Williams and how there are standards at North Carolina. And when you play for Coach Williams, that you know that you just don't big time a recruit. He said Coach Williams would have run us to death for big timing somebody. He would not stand for that. And we'd run and run and run and run. And so he said, honestly, I feel sorry for John Wall, but that's just not something I would do. And so I, I, lo I love it um, because of Tyler Hansbrough's response where he's like, listen, I don't bear any ill will to John Wall. Like he's a great basketball player and, and this does nothing to change that. I, I love him just taking that response. But also here's the thing for me, this whole timeline that John Wall set up just doesn't seem to add up. Secondly, He's talking about Hansborough's posse. Come on, dude. Tyler Hansborough's hanging out with Bobby Frazier. Like, what, what posse are we talking about? No. And so I, I just don't see it. He I, I don't I don't know why you would fabricate something like this. And that's clearly what it is. Additionally to all of that. John Wall was a guy because of everything he comes in with has like handlers, you know, like agents and stuff that it's like, hey, here's how this is going to go. That's not coach. That's not how coach Williams does it. Coach Williams only messes with dudes who he can meet directly with them and their family. So he's not messing around with John Wall and all that. But here to me is the biggest thing with this whole feud. And I'm just talking purely college basketball here because that's the construct of the conversation. I easily recognize and admit John Wall has an a much better NBA career than Tyler Hens, but right. Like there's nothing we're going to say about that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about college basketball and in college basketball, John wall got knocked out of the elite eight in his one year in college. Kentucky had a great regular season. John wall was phenomenal. I believe he was first team all American that year. Tyler sure played more years. But in that time, he was a national player of the year. John Wall never was. Tyler Hansborough was a national champion. John Wall never was. Tyler Hansborough made two final fours. John Wall made zero. Tyler Hansborough was a three-time consensus first team All-American. And the National U.S. Basketball Writers Association Freshman of the Year. Now, John Wall was not in school those years that Tyler Hansborough was. He was in school in 20. Uh, 2009, 2010, the year after Tyler graduated. Would Carolina have been better that year with John Wall? 100%. Would they have probably made the NCAA tournament instead of the NIT? Probably so. I can't say that with any level of certainty because Carolina just dealt with all sorts of injuries and other things that year. But here's the thing. Let's not pretend that John Wall was some world-changing savior that led UK to a national championship that year. He didn't. Elite eight is a great accomplishment, but it's not a final four. It's not making the national championship game, and it's certainly not winning it. So, cool. John Wall, we would have loved for you to come to North Carolina, but you didn't. You went to Kentucky, and you didn't have nearly the college career Tyler Hansborough did. And again, I recognize you played in college less years. I don't care. Carolina was just fine without you. Thank you very much. And by the way, give me Tyler Hansborough over John Wall any day of the week in terms of college basketball. All right, let's move on to our good heel of the week. And it's funny because this is the unlikeliest of candidates. This comes from Twitter. There's this account, Big Game Boomer. And usually 
I run from this account as as far as I can get away from it because it's just silly and it's absurd and it posts all these inane lists that are just, it's just driving, just trying to get reaction and content and interaction. And that's fine, whatever. That's what Twitter can be. It's absurd. But <laughs> Thursday, Big Game Boomer did one that I am all about and I'm totally here for. It was the top 25 best and worst college basketball arena nicknames. Number seven on his list of best nicknames is the Duke Blue Devils. And do you know what he listed as the best nickname of Cameron Indoor Stadium? Hansboro Indoor Stadium. So on a day when we're getting all this Tyler Hansborough slander from John Wall and in my Twitter mentions, because I talked about it uh, on at least on the Locked on Heels Twitter account and folks are blowing it up and I think it's hilarious. But uh, I love getting Carolina's nickname for Cameron Indoor Stadium out there because remember Hansborough literally never lost 4-0 in his career at Hansborough Indoor Stadium. It is his, Hansborough Indoor Stadium, his place his arena his palace let's get that out for out there for the world to see so big game boomer unlikeliest of heels of the week way to go now two quick heels of the week in the bad way we're hitting it all today john wall and now two others on thursday the oscar robertson mid-season award watch list came out 50 players on it this again the uswba BWA, excuse me, National Player of the Year Award is the Oscar Robertson Award. Other players can be added later. This is just truly a watch list, but it's kind of guiding like who we will look at. So it's 50 players on it. Carolina was one of just six schools that had two players on it. And you can maybe guess why this is going to be my one of my heels of the week. Two players on it for Carolina. Number one, Mondo. Is he on there? Yep. Check. Great. Number two, Who's been the, we talked about earlier in the show, who's been the other most consistent player for the Tar Heels this season? RJ Davis. Is he on this list? No. Who is it? Caleb Love. Now we love Caleb Love. We're all about the Caleb Love love. But statistically, from what's happened on the court this season, he's not been better than RJ. And that that's not Caleb slander. It's just what statistics tell you. It's what the eye tests tell you that RJ has been a better basketball player this season than Caleb Love. That is a truth. And so Oscar Robertson award watch list, you are on our negative heels of the week because you have Caleb over RJ on your midseason award watch list. Let's switch that and make it right the next time you put out a list later this season. And then the final uh, of our heels of the week in the bad way is this guy on Twitter telling me that I mistweeted Armando Baycott's rebounds. So here's what happened. Armando gets over 1,200 rebounds for his career against Boston College. He hits that threshold. So I put out a graphic on Twitter saying, hey, congrats to Armando Baycott. He joins Tyler Hansborough as one of just two players in Carolina history with 1,200 or more rebounds. Such an impressive thing. And so this guy, who I don't know, tweets me a picture of a top 10 Carolina rebounds list. No words, no context. I don't know what he his intent is, but on this list, it's all correct, except for Armando Baycott is down at the bottom of this list in 10th place. I found out later through other people asking this guy what it is, is that he it was his way of telling me that I was wrong and that Armando Baycott was actually at like 1,002 career rebounds. Okay, 
The problem with what this guy did is literally right below Armando's name on this screenshot is a graphic that says through 2001, 2000, or 2021, 2022. So this guy literally is trying to send me a message to say you're wrong about Armando Baycott's rebound statistics, but literally below Baycott's name, it's showing that this graphic he sent me is outdated. Come on, bro. This is me. This is Isaac we're talking about. The guy that spends all his time working with basketball statistics. I keep my own Carolina record book for crying out loud. I double and triple check it all the time. And so, listen, I, I love you wanting to make sure that I'm correct. I want to make sure I'm correct. But if you're going to come at me, bro, with stats, you better make sure you're right. Because if not, you're going to be dead wrong. And in this case, unfortunately for this guy, he was dead wrong because, I, buddy, come on. It's everywhere. Like if you're halfway paying attention to what Carolina is doing, you know that Armando Baycott is on the verge, on the cusp of breaking Tyler Hansborough's rebounds record. We can't be doing stuff like that. Come on, buddy. Do better. Okay. Armando Baycott, you're going to break this record. I feel it on Saturday. Friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for joining in. Coming up on Monday, obviously, we are going to unpack Carolina's game against NC State and the UNC women's game coming up on Sunday as well. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Follow me at Isaac Shade. Email the show for next week. Go ahead and get ahead on our heels of the week for next week. Locked on Tar Heels at gmail.com. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. So many people coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would love if you would join that. Even if you're a regular listener instead of a watcher, it, it's so helpful when people subscribe on YouTube. Also smash the like button and leave a comment. Also, for your second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked On's brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. College basketball hosts Isaac Shade, me, and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court, plus hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the college basketball landscape. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube Odyssey and anywhere else you get podcasts. Thanks so much for spending the last day of your week, Friday, hanging out with me, talking about Carolina athletics, specifically the men's and women's basketball team, and blowing up John Wall for whatever that was. <laughs> I hope that you all have a great weekend. Enjoy the basketball games, and we will talk to you again on Monday. But until then, let me remind you that it is always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until then, peace. <laughs>